Well, good morning, everyone. It's a little different this morning, but we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is David, and I serve here at Trinity as lead pastor, and obviously we have some friends with us this morning. They came from Arkansas, and they brought the weather with them, so uh, we're blaming them for this one. Um, but we're so glad that Joe and Jen Butler and their son Micah have made the trip up here to spend this morning with us, and we're going to get to know them, and then we're going to just spend some time together talking about this second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So this morning will be a little different, but I believe that uh, if you lean in, God has a word for you this morning through our friends, through his word, and something that will strengthen us as we learn more and more what it means to live by his kingdom values, these eight beatitudes. So first off, Joe and Jen, thank you so much. Micah, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I want to just start with a very simple question. Who are the butlers? Uh, tell us about your family. Tell us about your life. Tell us about... Um, just who you guys are. Yes, so good to be here. Jen, do you want to uh, just share about the family? Uh, we have more than just us three, uh, but this is Joe, and then this is Micah, who's 21, and he has an older sister named Hannah, who's 23, and then a younger sister that's 18, so he's stuck in the middle of two girls you have to pick from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and Pastor David, he's hairy. Yeah, he is. He's got lots of, he's got good hair, huh? Just like you, man. We, we shaved Micah before he came, so he likes beards, though, oh, too. Okay. So uh, Micah, Micah doesn't have the uh, inhibitions that, that most of us have, and uh, so it's, it's never a dull moment and exciting, and we meet a lot of people on the road and a lot of strangers. He's never met a stranger, but um, sometimes we don't want to meet people, but he, you know, he, he wants to, and, uh, and God leads that way. But our family, uh, so I'll take the story back, uh, 21 years, and, uh, we had, we were, we were, uh, interim youth pastors at a church in New Jersey, so not too far from here, and, and I grew up in South Florida, not from Arkansas, that's, we'll get to that later, but, uh, my wife's a Jersey girl, so I married a Jersey girl, and, and um, in uh, December of 2000, we felt, uh, we, we felt the call of vocational ministry a few months before that, but we moved onto the campus of the University, Oops. The University of Valley Forge and, um, to pursue pastoral ministry. And the week we moved, Micah was born, and uh, we lived in family housing and, and uh, you know, started classes in January of 2001, our oldest Hannah was two at the time. Again, Micah was born the week we moved, so I just had to move. Jen had to give birth. She had the harder part. And, uh, and then at nine months old, Micah was diagnosed with developmental delays, which basically meant he wasn't developing like a typical nine-month-old and started early intervention. Every state has early intervention for zero to three-year-olds. And so I uh, just encourage you, if, if you have a child that you may think has special needs, there's nothing wrong with pursuing early intervention because it helped Micah to walk and talk and use fine and gross motor skills. And, and uh, we were just doing everything we could. Um, you know, we had no ex prior experience in raising a child with special needs. We just loved Micah and got to know him. And, um, you know, so um, when he was, everything seemed to be going well, you know, and we kind of thought, well, you know, this is, uh, he'll grow out of this. And, you know, and and at two and a half, uh, we were at church on a Wednesday night, our home church, and um, he went, he had a seizure, and we had never experienced that before. He had never experienced that. 
And uh, thank God there were a couple nurses there that attended to him. They had to take him by ambulance to the hospital, and my wife rode the ambulance with him. And um, I followed, and about 45 minutes later, they sedated him to stop the seizure and, and ran all kinds of tests and scans, transferred him to a children's hospital. And, and so that night, about midnight, uh, they said, only one of you guys can stay. And so uh, my wife stayed. She was pregnant with our, with our third child, Clara, and uh, she stayed in this real nice uh, hospital um, cot, and, uh, and so my last view of my son that night was uh, tied to monitors in a hospital crib, out cold, and uh, just went back to our college apartment and said, God, what's going on? You know, like we, we sold our house, we sold half our possessions, you know, a car, and uh, gave up our, our lives to pursue your call, and and why would you allow this to happen, you know, to our son? And kind of had put God in a box, you know, thinking that if you went to church and you gave and you prayed, you know, nothing bad would happen. But um, that's not what the scripture says. I mean, we look, at, we look at Moses, we look at Job, we look at Jesus who died on a cross for our sins. He was perfect. You know, if one of us was, was put in jail and executed, we wouldn't think, oh, that's a good thing. Um, but that's, that's the scripture, and, and we don't always know God's plan and see God's purpose in, in the difficult seasons of our life. But um, God reminded me that night that all children are a reward from him or a, or a gift from him, and doesn't say healthy or unhealthy, those with or without disabilities. It says all children are a reward from the Lord. And um, God just reminded me of my spirit as I was laying there on my bed, just crying out to him, and, and uh, that... Um, you know, he was in control. And so a couple days later, we met with the neurologist, and they said uh, just the, the neurologist we met with didn't have the greatest bedside manner. And uh, <laughs> she just bluntly said, you know, there's abnormalities in your son's brain, and we don't know if he'll walk or talk or be independent someday. And um, that's when it hit me as a father that this was something that was going to last, you know, affect us, affect him the rest of his life, and affect our family as well. And... Um, <clears throat> And so, again, God just reminded me of his word that in Psalm 139, that, that uh, he knew Micah before he formed him in Jen's womb, and, um, you know, that he, he saw what happened in the womb. There was a lack of oxygen, they said, that probably caused abnormalities, and um, actually it was a miracle that he, that he lived, and, um, and so, um, you know, just reminded us that, that that he knew him before he formed him in his mother's womb, and he allowed it for a reason. And so we just trusted God that he was in control and trusted that he had a purpose, you know, and a plan for Micah's life. Um, and uh, we graduated in, in, in uh, 2004 from University of Valley Forge, pastored in New Jersey for five years. And uh, during that time, God just brought families of children with disabilities to us, adults. Uh, we were on staff, and we had a child with special needs, so they just kind of looked to us, and we're like, God, we don't, we don't know what to do, but, you know, just, just loving people and getting to know them. And, and uh, in 2008, we, God spoke to my wife about, you know, a, a change coming, and, and that change was uh, U.S. missions to persons with disability. We found out through the Assemblies of God there's uh, U.S. missions and intercultural ministries and then persons with disabilities, they, they look at it as a people group. And so uh, we stepped out in faith, stepped down from our staff position and started traveling around the, the country, helping to equip churches to better include people with disability. 
and uh, found out that there weren't a lot of people in the churches or a lot of families in the churches with disabilities, but in every community we went to, we'd meet families at truck stops, at gas stations, at, at restaurants, and uh, this vision of a disability outreach center uh, turned into Ability Tree, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of the beginnings. That's kind of our story, and um, that's anything you want to add? All right. Cool. I think, you know, one of the things that I heard you mention in just a minute, we want to talk about the ministry that you guys have here. Hey, Micah. You can't sit there with him, buddy. There's not room, but you got to come over here and give him a hug. All right. There you go, buddy. All right. Come back and sit down, okay? My, Mike and I became best friends last night because I fed him pizza. So <laughs> he, likes my, he likes my beard. Jen. He, he um, likes food, man. You know, we've, my family has walked through some actually very similar moments to what you just described. Specifically, our youngest has cerebral palsy, but also there was a moment where she had her first seizure. And although we had been told it was a possibility, we thought she wouldn't because she'd gotten to the age where they thought it wouldn't happen. And a similar uh, ambulance, you know, took a long time to get her out of her first seizure. Now she takes medications for that. But those are moments as a mom and a dad, you'll never forget. They don't remember them. We never forget them. And so just from your perspective as a mom, you know, you have two little ones, you have one on the way, you're there in the hospital that night. We've heard a little bit about what the Lord was speaking to Joe in that season um, about trusting him. What were you learning in that season about your relationship with God? Um, just being honest, uh, it was a really low time for me. Um, I was really tired, uh, wasn't sleeping hardly at all. Um, there was just so much happening, and I was very alone and very and felt very isolated. Most of my friends were having a difficult time understanding how to help me um, because they were walking through a different journey, and it was just really, um, it was just a really low, low time for me. I, but in this process, and this is where we're talking about how God just works everything for good in that low process. I realize that if I'm feeling this way, there are other families like me that are feeling this. And I hated it. I hated how it felt, and I didn't want them to feel that. And I also knew that if I didn't have a relationship with God, I don't know how I would get through it. And I thought of the families that might be feeling what I feel like but don't have God as their resource, and it bothered me. And I think that's what just kept stirring in our hearts and even being in, in ministry. And like Joe talked about, um, families starting to come to us for um, just insight on things, that that's what just started stirring. I, but honestly, it was a bad spell for me. But in that bad spell was the, the real realization of we have to do something. We have to walk alongside these families. And that's really what turned the corner for us. I appreciate your honesty because I think it's important that, especially as we lean into this beatitude in a little bit, blessed are those who mourn, that there will be seasons of, Jesus expected us to have seasons and times of mourning. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a blessing upon those who are able to mourn, and we'll talk in a minute, mourn the right things and mourn in the right way. But one of the fruits of our mourning can become our ministry, right? So out of your moments of pain, here you are nearly two decades later, and God's given you as a family tremendous influence and platform to serve individuals and families with individuals who have disabilities and special needs, as well as strengthen the local church um, across the United States and beyond. And so uh, just before we talk a little bit about Ability Tree Ministries, I want us to watch this video, which will give all of you a glimpse as to uh, what this ministry is about. 
That's beautiful. I was watching it. I just had this, um, I just thought this is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to be kingdom people. Now, Ability Tree, your, your main sort of base is currently in Arkansas. You have locations in Florida and New Jersey, and you're growing. I know that. You, um, and I don't, our, hopefully our church family will go to your website and learn more about your ministry, but you do after-school programs, you do art programs we saw in there, uh, something called Connections University, sports camps, respite for parents, parents' night out. Um, you do camps, which is how I came to know about you guys through a mutual friend of many of ours, Lance Gonzalez, and his wife, Lori, who go to your camp in New Jersey, I would assume. And you do all of these. This is the ministry that God has given you. Uh, I'll start with you, Joe. What do you love most about what you get to do uh, as a part of leading Ability Tree? Yeah, <clears throat> probably the, um, just the relationships, the families, the individuals and families we get to meet. Um, because they, they need community, just like we all do, and um, it, it's just a joy. It, it's we're in a season of our life now. It's 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 uh, busy, busier than ever, which is, uh, but it's good because uh, there were times where, you know, we were praying God bring families and and bring partners and churches and and open the eyes of of leaders and pastors and. And, uh, you know, Micah's 21. He graduated two years ago from high school, and uh, he, was, he was prom king as well, and uh, honorary member of the football team, and he knows more people than, than we do. But, um, but he gets to travel with us now, and the girls, our youngest is at college, our oldest graduated, and so um, it's kind of a new season for him. He's our chief inspiration officer is what his official title is. So he's a volunteer. He doesn't get paid. But... Um, but uh, it's, you know, just, um, there's so much, you know, camp is the ability camp for adults that you mentioned, Lance and, and Lori. Um, it, it's like the kingdom of heaven. When, if, you, if you get a chance, it's actually in, in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, the ability camp, which in this area, but uh, there's, there's no inhibitions. When you come, um, the campers come expecting, the, the staff comes expecting. You know, newcomers come a little anxious, and then within a few hours, they're, they're like, oh, this is how it's going to be. Okay, this is, this is great. And uh, the, it's the most free worship. Um, the presence of God is there from, from day one. And um, I think just, um, just seeing how God operates, you know, in, in um, the relationships that is probably my favorite. How about you, Jen? Um, well, I got to say, um, watching the spiritual growth of um, our kids and adults, you know, we started with a lot of little kids and, and then watching them grow up. And then we kind of like went with Micah's face selfishly. Like when he was little, there was a lot of things for little kids. And we're like, oh, wait, Micah's a teenager. Oh, I guess we should do some things for teens. And then it turned yeah. into adults. But watching those spiritual growth has been incredible. Um, the way they understand God and the way God ministers to them. And, and you know, we talked about Lance and Lori and, and man, they have ministered to so many of ours at camp and just watching God move. You saw in the video the ones that have asked to be baptized. I mean, those are not us pressuring them, but them going, I want more of God. I want more. And so that part, I, every time I watch that video, not to be silly, but like I am overwhelmed with God's 
goodness and and how he ministers and and what he's doing in this ministry. So it's beautiful. There's through the website you can all learn more about how to get involved, how to even volunteer, how to support. Um, one of the things that the Butlers are beginning to do more and more is come alongside local churches and help churches like Trinity know how can we best serve this community when they, uh, well, not even when they come inside the walls of our church, but just how can we reach into this community and serve that community. But when there are families here, and there are families here, of course, that have children with various disabilities and special needs, uh, what can we do to best serve and strengthen those families? And, and I'm excited for, to connect with them moving forward so that they can help us at Trinity become more uh, fruitful in that sort of ministry. But last question before we get to the beatitude that we're going to discuss together. Um, you know, a lot of times people have um, neighbors, coworkers, yeah. friends that have children with disabilities and special needs, and they want to help, but there's maybe an uncertainty and awkwardness, uh, don't want to say the wrong thing, don't want to do the wrong thing. What are some things you've learned that you encourage families, even in relation to Micah, um, as far as best practices or just some principles of how, what are some things that are timeless and will help? Yeah. Or do you want me to, like, I just I, know yeah. for me, being at, when, when I was going through that low season, that's what was happening, is everybody was super scared to talk to me, and they didn't know what to do, so they avoided me. Um, and I would say, don't avoid people. If you're not sure, don't be afraid to ask the parents, or, hey, what can I do? I'm not sure what to do. Don't be afraid to talk to someone that you may think uh, might not be verbal, because someone will let you know if, if yeah. they yeah. if they can't talk, there's usually someone there to let you know. But don't be afraid because that's a big issue. That's one thing we've learned yeah. with Maddie is people will and and, and no bad intentions, right. but they won't ask like they wouldn't ask Micah how old he is. They would ask you yep. how old is Micah. Yeah. And like the first step is to see the person as a person. Yeah. And then if they can't have certain communications, then the, the parents and the people who are providing care will be able to step in and speak for that individual. But, but don't start from a place of, I can't talk to this person. Right. And, exactly. and even just like with Maddie, like, you know, in a wheelchair, like when people, you know, will kneel down and kind of yeah. get to her level and talk to her, yeah. um, that, that means a lot. And, and yeah. I know my wife would much prefer people come and ask questions than just stare, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pastor David, that's, um, he does have a lot of hair, man. Yeah, it's good hair, though. It's good hair. Micah wants to interject. I think that, I'm going to shave between services. <laughs> he's going he's to throw you off, man. What? He's going to shave. Um, that's, that's great. Like, I mean, the simple answer is love, love them if they're your neighbors and get to know them. But um, I think, you know, we live in a society now that's more accessible than ever, but also more offensive than ever, I think, too. And, and so, and we naturally fear the unknown. So if we don't know what to say or what to do, a lot of times we don't say or do anything because we don't want to say or do the wrong thing, which further marginalize, marginalizes and excludes the individual or family. And so, yeah, treat them as, a, as made in the image of God because every person is made in the image of God. Talk to the person first. And if they don't communicate verbally or some other way, then uh, there'll be a caregiver with them that will communicate. We've been out to dinner with several individuals who use wheelchairs, and I can't tell you how many times a server has asked the person next to them, you know, ask somebody else there what they want to eat. And the one time, um, this woman, the wife of a, 
of a grown man in a wheelchair. She said, I don't know, ask him, you know, what he wants to eat. So, um, but just, it's, you don't have to be an expert, um, you know, just get to know them. I mean, and, and um, because they need community and they need relationship with others. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, what's one way that right now we can pray for you as a family or for Ability Tree International Ministries? Yeah, I'd say just as we travel, um, pray for God's continued provision. We're in a new season of, of growth, and, um, you know, but we need, there, there's new opportunity. We need God to bring people um, to serve as full-time missionaries um, and to help us meet the need because it's, it's bigger than, than Jen and I and Micah. And, um, you know, God has brought some incredible people over the last 10 years to help us uh, carry out the mission, but, um, you know, just provision, you know, financially is always, of course, as we travel, um, you know, um, and there's overhead costs and operational costs and all that, but, but, um, for God to open doors and, and open hearts and, um, just to continue, uh, to, um, you know, grow the, grow the ministry for his glory and, uh, Keep us focused on him. Yeah, amen. Let's pray right now for this family and this ministry. If you'll point your hand up this way, we want to ask God's blessing upon them. Father, we thank you for the Butler family. We thank you for the journey that you've brought them through, your faithfulness to them in every season. God, we thank you that you've positioned them in a very unique place to serve a community that is often overlooked and underserved. And Father, we pray right now that you would bring strategic partnerships to Ability Tree, people who have not just the heart but the financial means to help this be everything that it can be for your glory. Father, I pray that you would um, encourage and strengthen Jen and Joe and Micah as they travel, protect them, watch over them, open the right doors for them, give them the wisdom where to go and where not to go, what to, who to partner up with, and maybe in some cases who not to partner up with, Father, but that you would direct them and guide them, give them much influence for your kingdom and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for the butlers and for their ministry here? We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Oh, don't mess up the sound. We're not done yet. Okay. Give him a holy kiss. Giving him a holy kiss. All right. Come over here, buddy. I feel very loved, cared for. So, just in the next few minutes here, Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, this is his second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And uh, just a couple thoughts I wanted us to just have a quick conversation about. The first thing, and this is a reminder, we talked about this last week in the first week of our series, that the word blessed here, number one, it's not about subjective happiness. Uh, that wouldn't even make sense with this particular beatitude. Happy are those who mourn. That's contradictory in nature. So Jesus is not talking about subjective happiness, that Christians will always have this sort of feeling of happiness. This word blessed means that this is the approval of God that rests upon the people of his kingdom. So it's the objective approval of God, not the subjective happiness or feelings that we go through, which that, one of the things that means is that even if you're in a season where you're struggling to feel happy about everything that's happening in your life, it doesn't mean that the blessing of God can't still rest upon you, the approval of the Father. The second thing that we need to know about these Beatitude statements is that these are not conditional statements. These are not if-then statements. We should not read these as, if you mourn, then you will be comforted, as if we could somehow mourn our way into God's approval. 
So the blessing isn't available to those who do the first half of these Beatitudes consistently and faithfully, faithfully enough. It's not if you're sad all the time, if you're mourn, if you're grieving, then you will have God's approval. What Jesus is doing here is he is making kingdom reality statements. So he's saying that in the kingdom of God, there is the approval of the Father. And one of the ways that you'll know it's on your life is that you're able to mourn the right things in the right way. And that you do not lose yourself or your joy in your mourning, but that you're able to find the comfort of God. And so one of the things that becomes a characteristic of a kingdom person is that they experience the comfort of God even in real mourning. And we were talking about what you guys have walked through and what you continue to walk through. And, you know, with, with us, with Madeline, I remember Erin telling me that she was having a conversation with a friend once who also had a child with a disability. And Erin was describing how she was feeling. And her friend said, you're describing grief. And we had never thought of it as grief because we didn't think Maddie would live. So for us, it was like everything was, and of course, as you said, every child is a reward from God. Every child bears the image of God. And we celebrate her life. And we celebrate her the way she is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we have learned, when you have a child with disabilities or special needs, who won't do some of the things you dreamed they might do, there is this lifelong grief process underneath everything where, you know, when Maddie says to me, like, she can't clap like the other kids, like that causes me to grieve because I realize like this is part of the challenge that she's going to carry for the entirety of her life. And so just wondering what have you, when we think about this beatitude, what's something you've learned about what it means to receive the comfort of God, even in what might be a lifelong mourning journey? Um, For us, like, I, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying because Grief has been, it's been up and down, you know, there's just, um, usually after uh, IEP meetings at school, <laughs> it would be when I'd really grieve, <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's just the um, really positive times, but yeah, it's like a roller coaster, um, we're always thinking, I mean, right now, I mean, his sisters have, you know, his older sister had a boyfriend, you know, he he would love to have a girlfriend, uh, you he's know, got, he, he's got that, lots of girlfriends, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's just these these things uh, that we do. I've honestly, and, and I'm going to tell you a book that has comforted me. I just feel like I should share that today. There's a book called Brokenness. Um, it was an older book written by Lon Solomon, and it's just a small book. And that's been uh, just a book that I go back to. I just feel like someone in here, and it, it doesn't matter what uh, situation you're in that you're broken in, but it was like, God gave me that resource, and he, he, he's done that for me on the journey of grief. Like, he's just had certain things that came in my life that helped me uh, get through. But it doesn't go away. It's, right. like, always there, kind of. And I think one of the dangers of mourning is when we cannot receive the comfort of God yeah. any longer. When we get ourselves into a place of bitterness or yeah. despair where we're unable to receive the comfort. One of the things we have to remind ourselves of, which is the third point I want us to learn from this beatitude, is that even those who God approves of will have reason in life to mourn. Yeah. And some, don't, don't confuse seasons of mourning with God's lack of love for you yeah. and his approval of you. God's love doesn't keep us from pain, but it keeps us in pain. I mean, Jesus was led into the wilderness not by sin, of course, but by the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit leads us straight into the wilderness for God's purposes. And God has reasons for our seasons of mourning. And, of course, Isaiah 53, Jesus himself despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, 
and acquainted with grief. And so sometimes in maybe American Christianity, there becomes this message of you shouldn't ever mourn. You shouldn't be sorrowful. You shouldn't struggle. You shouldn't have sadness. And it's out of step with the life of Jesus, the life of Paul, the teachings of the scriptures. And as we'll see in a moment, these things do not define us or defeat us, but they're a real part of the formation of God's uh, the image of the sun in each of us. And so, uh, Joe, maybe you could speak to some of the things that you've learned in terms of um, what it looks like to enter into any grief related to life struggle, but be able to receive the comfort of God and not feel rejected by God in the midst of that. Yeah, I remember um, <clears throat> David, our first pastorate out of Valley Forge, we were 27, 28. Um, actually, I'm sorry, we went to school 27, 28. Later on, we were 30. <laughs> and Micah was three and a half. Uh, he, he had a walker. He wasn't walking independently yet. And he had glasses. And um, <clears throat> I remember coming into the service one morning and this older gentleman in his 80s who had, who had a cane and thick glasses, you know, like laid his hands on Micah and was praying for healing. And he didn't, that was kind of our first introduction. He didn't say, hey, I'm, you know, so-and-so, and, -so, and the, he just went straight for, let's pray for healing, and I kind of looked at him, and I thought, well, maybe I should pray for him, too, because it looks like he needs healing, too, <laughs> but um, not disrespectfully, but I thought, like, wow, is this how people look at my son and look at Micah as just need physical healing, and um, I look at Mark, too. I look at the man lowered through the roof, and I see, you know, Jesus first saved him before he, he healed him. And uh, I believe Jesus was emphasizing uh, salvation is the greatest healing because it's, it's being born again and, and it's eternal. And uh, that was kind of a different perspective for me. But then, um, so it, it kind of, in, in being in the assemblies of God, I mean, divine healing is, is we believe in it, you know, and I believe God healed Micah seizures for 14 years. He didn't have seizures for 14 years. He's only had a handful in his life um, and, and they're mild seizures as he's gotten older, but God has healed him in, in, in certain ways, but we all are, are going to die and face God. That's where our bodies are breaking down, and sometimes we focus on the physical, but um, I think as, um, as a father, as, as, as men, a lot of times we try to fix the problem, and we try to figure out how can we fix, you know, this issue, you know, and um, I had to come to the realization that, that Micah, we're all broken, but I'm not going to fix, I can't fix the, the sin issue from the beginning of the world. I mean, Jesus is the only one who can fix that. So I need to accept Micah the way he is and, and get to know him and love and get to know him. And, and um, I think the loss of, you know, just, I played organized sports growing up. So just, you know, little things like that, you know, he's, he didn't, hasn't had the opportunity to play organized sports and, and um, you know, God could bring him a wife. He's a good-looking kid, man. He's 21, you know, and he's got a lot of friends, but they kind of, and that, that lady, I don't, I don't know if she's available, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, we're praying, hey, you know, there's, he's got a lot of friends, and, but then they go off to college, and, you know, and, and so if, if God wants him to have a, a helpmate, he will. Um, it'll look different, you know, than, than what we imagine. But I think the one thing... Um, you know, this kind of hit me uh, as I get older is just the conversation of, um, you know, I can have a conversation with him, but I can't say, hey, Micah, what did, what did God do in, in your life today? Or what did he speak to you? Or what did you get out of that message today? And, you know, a deep intellectual conversation, he, he's not going to have that, you know, but I, I see God 
Um, I see him operate, you know, in the Spirit of God. We see him go up to people, whether it's at church or in the community, and uh, God directs him to people. And um, But I, I, I long for that day when I can, you know, have that conversation that he said, man, Dad, you should have seen it. You know, God showed me this, and I went up to this person, and I prayed with them, and he touched them, and, you know, and I'm not going to get that in this life, probably, maybe, but those are the things that that's, um, I mourn over and I grieve. But at the same time, I see his growth, his love for God and his love for others. And so I'm thankful, you know, for that. I think that um, I wonder if we all have sort of a preconceived idea of what it looks like to be a person that God uses and the skills that we need to have in order to make kingdom impact. And I think we limit God in that, right? So... Um, I just read yesterday in my devotionals, Luke 13, 12, where Jesus releases a woman. And specifically, I was struck because the ESV says, be, be freed from your disability. I didn't even realize that word was in the ESV in that gospel of Luke. And I thought, so we believe in a God who can free people from all sorts of disabilities, primarily spiritual healing, but also physical healing. But at the same time, as a parent of a child with special needs or disability, you don't want other people to look at well-meaning Christians look at your child just as a prayer request, yeah. just as a project, yeah. as like they're okay, but, they, but if they really, then God could really. We don't always know God's plans and purposes. Yeah. You know, Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, yeah. he's a crippled young man. There's no indication that he was ever healed. Jephthah, one of the judges, the left-handed guy, he was most likely crippled in his right hand. That's why he was using his left hand. God yeah. used that for his kingdom for his purposes. So I think the, the key is to trust in God's power and his purposes that God can heal Micah, God can heal Madeline, God can heal and free people of all sorts of things, but also not to look at that person like a lesser version of themselves until that thing happens, right, right. but to love them and see that yeah. they have all the value and worth and kingdom impact that God wants them to have. And if he wants to heal them, we know that he can. Yeah. Um, we need to wrap up here, but the last few things I want to mention here uh, the fourth point is that we must mourn the, the right things in the right way. And, and in the Bible, so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not just saying, blessed are you if you're mopey and if you're grim and if you're always down. It is not blessed if you mourn when life doesn't go your way or blessed if you're grumpy. What he's saying is there's two ways that we mourn in Scripture. I think I have a slide here. The first one is that we mourn through repentance, which is mourning of our own sin. And that's such a blessed are those who repent because they will receive comfort. And the comfort that we receive when we repent is the mercy of God, right? And we've all experienced that, hopefully. You've brought your sins to God and you've experienced his mercy. And that's a mourning process. And for Christians, repentance is not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's a daily process of repenting from the ways that we don't trust in Jesus and finding the mercy of God. But the second way that we, we mourn in Scripture, and I don't think the American church in particular is great at this, is lament. So much of the Psalms is lamenting, which is saying there's something not right with this world. There's something not right with me. There's something not right with the government. There's something not right with media. There's something not right. And instead of just being angry about those things, we lament those things, which is a prayerful mourning. And in that, what we find is not so much just the mercy of God, but now we find the justice of God gives us comfort. Because if there was no justice of God, then how could we find any comfort when injustice is done on this world? We find comfort as Christians when we lament, knowing that someday God who sees all will make everything right. And so in repentance, we find mercy. In lamenting, we find uh, justice. And this is what it means to mourn. And then lastly, the last point, and we'll close, is this. I'm going to have Antonia and Emma come up. 
this is, we're talking about for real mourning, but not, yep, she's going to come up and play. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're almost done. We're almost done. I know. I know. Why? I don't know. Thanks. Thank you. The last thing that we see here is that, uh, and this is so important, the mourning the Christians do is for real, but it's not forever. Does that make sense? It's for, we're not play acting. Jesus wept at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. He wasn't faking. He wasn't play acting. He really felt that moment. And so for Christians, our, our mourning is real. It's for real, but it's not forever. What comfort do we receive when we mourn? Uh, three things. The cross, forgiveness and salvation. God did not spare his own son. Secondly, we receive the comfort of the spirit who's been sent to dwell within believers, our comforter, our helper, and our counselor. And then we receive the blessed hope of the new heaven and the new earth, the new us. I want to encourage you this week to go to Isaiah 25 and read verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, where we get this beautiful picture of what it will be like someday to be in God's presence, where God himself will swallow up death, and death will be no more, and will be in his presence. And my favorite part, he'll wipe away our tears, all these things, but my favorite part is that we will say on that day, you and I will say on that day, behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him. And what an amazing thing that someday, even those who mourn will be comforted knowing that one day we will be in the presence of God and we will say, this is our God and we have waited for him. Let's stand. We're just going to sing as we close.